0: Well, good morning. morning. I want to say, first of all, I loved the music at Golden Corner Church today. Love that. Golden Corner Church, I'm glad you showed up today. If you're visiting with us, I want you to know that we are delighted to have you here. Uh, Would you like to study the Bible together for a few minutes? let's do that again. Would you like to study the Bible together for a few minutes? Good, because that's what we're going to do. So I'm hoping that you would uh, be open to that. Uh, We are currently in a sermon series that revolves around the life of a man named Joseph. His story is shared with us in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. When he was 17 years old, Joseph had a couple of dreams. And Using those dreams, God actually allowed Joseph to peek into his future. And according to God, Joseph was going to one day be a great ruler. So Joseph sat down his ten older brothers, and he shared his dreams with them. And how did they react? Uh, They hated him. As a matter of fact, they already hated him. But after he shared the two dreams, they hated him even more. They hated him to the degree that they made a decision the first chance we get, let's kill him and we'll throw his body in an empty well. Then they had a change of heart. And they said, no, let's not do that. Let's just throw him in the empty well and walk away and leave him and let him die there. Then they changed their mind again, and they decided, no, we want to get rid of him, but there's a better way. Let's sell him to slave traders who will take him far, far, far away from here, and we'll be rid of him. Joseph watched in horror as his own brothers sold him to Ishmaelite slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. those slave traders shackled him to all the other soon-to-be slaves. And they started a 300-mile journey to the land of Egypt. Now, on an average of 20 miles a day, that's a 15-mile trek. 15 long, difficult, difficult, Lonely, challenging, frightening days. At night when Joseph lay under the heavens looking up into the night sky, I wonder what he said to God. Would you put yourself in his place for just a minute? With all that God had revealed to him and then the things that were starting to unfold, all that was taking place. At the close of a day, when everything is still and your mind is quiet, what do you think he said to God? I think he had a lot of questions. My God, why is this happening to me? Why did you stand by and let them do that to me? What have become of me? What about my dreams? Has there been a change of plan? Have I done something wrong? Are you punishing me? Are you even up there? Are you listening to me? On what appeared to be an average day, Joseph left his home en route for a land called Shechem. Or so he thought, James. He just thought he was headed to Shechem. Little did he know that on that day, he would actually begin a 13-year-long journey through a land called suffering. Well, at least that's the way Joseph described the next 13 years of his life. I wish I could tell you that Joseph's nightmare was short lived. It wasn't. I wish I could tell you that his 10 older brothers were the only difficult people he would ever encounter. They weren't. The next 13 years of Joseph's life were an emotional roller coaster. There were plenty of difficult people and difficult situations. Joseph suffered. That's the word the Bible used. Joseph suffered. With that in mind, uh, let's quickly revisit last week's sermon. Last week from the life of Joseph, we learned a very important lesson. We learned that when life feels out of control, God is still in control. According to Joseph, he said it. Not one moment from one day over the course of my life has God relinquished the control of my life. He's always been in control. If that's the case, here's my big question. How do you explain the suffering? Are you with me? At some point this week, this question should have come to your mind. If God is indeed in control, always, why is life so hard? If God is in control, why does He allow the bad stuff? Why doesn't He make life easy, always, Believe it or not, here's the question I'm going to try to answer today. If, you know, if God is in control, why is life so hard? Before we go any further, I want to be clear on two things. Uh, first of all, this subject really needs an entire series of sermons. So I, I can go ahead and let you know that when, when the service is over, you're still going to have questions that I didn't answer So you understand that? The second thing i got to be clear on, and and some of you may have been confused about this. I'm just going to make it real clear. I'm not God. You ready? You got that? Just in case, I want to clear up any misunderstandings. (laughs) And some of you are like, we knew that. Uh, I'm not God. Here's what I'm saying is, I cannot possibly explain everything that God does. None of us can. There's an element of the workings of God that will be a mystery to us as long uh, as long as we're on this side, as long as we're living in this life. His thoughts, his actions are on a plane that you and I cannot attain. All we know about God is the little bit that he's chosen to reveal to us. I do want to, however, start with Joseph, and here's the question we'll start with. If God was in control of Joseph's life all along, why did He allow him to experience so much suffering? To answer that question, we have got to understand God's purpose for Joseph. And what was that purpose? You say, well, his purpose was to make him a king or a ruler. Well, that wasn't really God's purpose. It was simply part of God's plan. God's purpose was to use Joseph to save lives. And where you get that at? That's what he t- when he finally met up with his brothers and he tried to explain to them: here's what's going on. He said, God sent me here not to be a king, not to have authority and power, and, and not to be blessed with riches. And he sent me here, here's the purpose. He sent me here to save lives. A throne was simply a vehicle that would enable Joseph to better fulfill God's purpose for his life, and that was saving people. Now let me explain, because I remember you're thinking, I'm, I'm not sure I'm following Let me explain it. There was a famine coming. And God knew this. And the famine was going to last seven years, and the famine was going to be so severe in its nature that entire countries were going to be laid waste. And so God already at this point begins a, a rescue operation. And he sets things in motion. And his goal, his purpose was to save thousands of people from starvation. His goal was to save entire countries from starvation. And he decided that Egypt would be the headquarters of his entire rescue operation. Why Egypt? Because Egypt was the only country on the planet at that time that had the infrastructure to pull this off. So he chose Egypt. He said, I'll do it in Egypt. And I'll rescue people by the thousands. I will rescue countries. And in particular, I'm going to rescue the nation of Israel, this Fledgling, embryonic nation of I'm gonna rescue Israel. Now to rescue Israel, this was God's plan. I gotta put a Hebrew, I gotta put a Hebrew in a prominent, powerful position in Egypt to ensure that in the midst of this rescue operation, Israel is spared. And guess who the Hebrew was? It was Joseph. And why was God so intent on saving the nation of Israel? He said, well, they were his chosen people. That's part of it. But remember this, emerging from Israel, thousands of years later, would be a Savior. Someone who would live a perfect life, die on a cross, bearing the sins of the fallen human race, so that people just like you and I could be saved. Do you see the genius of this plan? Do you see the scope of it? God's purpose for Joseph was to save lives, save countries, and even save souls. Now, let's look at the plan. If God's purpose is going to be fulfilled, God had to move Joseph down to Egypt. And how did he do that? God used suffering to move Joseph. God used suffering to move him. You've got to be asking a couple of questions on that. You've got to be asking, why? Why would He do that? Why didn't God just do this the easy way? And in particular, why did He have to drag this out over a 13-year period of time? I think the answer is found in Psalm 105, right in the Bible. Uh, Psalm 105 contains a brief history of the nation of Israel. In that Psalm, the psalmist refers to the great famine that took place during Joseph's life. And then he proceeded to say in verse 17 through 19, go to me on the screen, read it with me. This is what the psalmist said. Then he, speaking of God, sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, speaking of the Israelites. And who was that someone? Joseph. How did he get there? Who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Oh, here's the big sentence. You see it? Man, this is big. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams. In other words, that 13 long period of time. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, what was God doing? You see it? The Lord tested Joseph's character. The Lord tested Joseph's character. That verse is critically important to us. Here we find the answer to our question. If God was in control of Joseph's life, why did he allow him to experience so much suffering? God was testing Joseph's character. The word test implies two words, proving and improving. You still with me? Because listen, man, we're talking about Joseph, but we're talking about you. The word test implies proving and improving. God used the suffering to prove and improve Joseph's character. During those trying days, God proved to others that Joseph was genuine. And while proving Joseph, he was also improving Joseph. God used the pain to change Joseph in very positive ways. You say, give me some ways. Gave him humility. Remember, we talked about it last week. When he goes, he saw his brother's reaction, first time, when he told him the first dream. When he goes back and tells him again, on the second, he goes back and tells him again. We said that might be the evidence of pride. Well, before, after the 13 years of, of the testing of his character, he's actually interviewing for a job with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And Pharaoh began to brag on him and said, They tell me you can and do this and you can do that and you've got these abilities. He said, Gotta stop you right there, Haas. I can't do any of that. But God can. He was given humility through this test of his character, he was given wisdom. We did conclude that maybe it wasn't pride, but it was certainly unwise for him to go back to those boys a second time. But in this same interview with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Pharaoh said, we need somebody really wise to head up this rescue op- operation. And he turned to all of his advisors, the wisest men in all of Egypt, and he said, I can tell you one thing about this cat. I, I ain't never. Nice. He was Southern. He said, I ain't never seen anybody with as much wisdom as this young man. Where did he get that at? He got it in the land of suffering. It was there that God honed administrative skills that he, was, he would need. It was there that God strengthened his faith, faith that he was going to need. God's purpose was to use Joseph. But before God used Joseph greatly, God changed him greatly. And what did he use to change him? He used suffering. Even though God was always in control of Joseph's life, he allowed him to experience some suffering because God used suffering to test or improve Joseph's character. And why did God want to improve his character? God wanted Joseph to succeed. So he used suffering to shape Joseph for success. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. I'd rather you hear it straight from Joseph. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 52, reading from the New International Version, Joseph said, and I want you to look at this, Joseph said, it is because God has made me. You see in this? It is because God made me. See the next word, fruitful, means successful. He said, it's because God made me successful. And where did he do it? In the land of my suffering, it was through suffering that God transformed me into the individual you see, enabling me to experience the success that I'm experiencing. Time out, guys. Time out, man. Everybody with me? Time out. We just learned a valuable lesson about God. I mean, a big one. God uses suffering to shape us for success. Are you glad to hear that? I'm not. Huh? I could have gone without that. And there's a big part of me that wishes that wasn't the truth, but it is the truth. The truth is, God uses suffering to shape us for success. As a matter of fact, we just answer the question if God is in control, why is life so hard? God uses suffering to shape us for success. Do you know God's purpose for your life? I think you do. As a matter of fact, if you've been at Golden Corner Church any length of time at all, I know you do. You know God's purpose for your life? He wants to use you. You mean bless me? Yeah, that's part of it. But I'm going to back up again. He wants to use you. You're asking what capacity? He wants to use you to save lives. I think lots of lives. His plan for each of us will vary to some degree. He undoubtedly lead us down different paths. But His purpose is the same. God's purpose is to use us to save people. We may possess different strengths and weaknesses. We will have different personalities, interests, occupations, mailing addresses... However, we all share the same purpose. God's purpose is to use each of us to save people, not from an approaching famine, but from the consequences of their sins. That's God's purpose, and God wants each and every one of us to be wildly successful at bringing people to Him. Therefore, God is at work within us, shaping us for success God uses suffering to test and improve our character. God uses suffering to turn us into people who are more usable. Yes, there are other tools that God uses to shape us, but one of His most effective tools is pain. Now, some of you, this is what you're thinking. This is what you're thinking. Ronnie, I agree. I got it. Pain is an effective tool when God is using it. To produce change, I got. I agree that it's effective. However, my question for you is this: Is it essential? Isn't there another way? Don't you think we could be changed without the introduction of pain into our lives at different periods of our journey? Don't you think, Ronnie? No. I don't. We human beings are stubborn. And we are proud. And we are resistant to change. But there's one thing that that we seem to respond to when all else fails. Pain. Nothing gets our attention. And makes us teachable more than pain. Pain humbles us. Pain softens our heart, makes us sympathetic and caring toward others. Pain softens our will and makes us pliable in the hands of God. God's purpose is to use us greatly, but to use us, He'll have to change us. He'll test our character in the crucible of pain. God will use suffering to shape us for success. That's why even though God is in control life is often hard. That's a fact. And in light of that fact, here's what I hope we do. I hope we pass the test. Don't you listen carefully to me, okay? I'm a few minutes out, right? Here's what I know. There are people in this church who came here this morning totally confused about your life. you're getting some light. You're starting starting to understand a a little bit about what's going on. God has allowed these things, not because He's angry with me, put out with me. God has allowed these things, these painful things in my life, because He's testing my character, because He's planning to use me. He's wanting to use me. And for some of you, uh, uh, can I be... Uh, you, you, uh, listen, I'm going to say something. I'm, I'm going uh, to give you some bad news. Like, and you're like, well, you mean this had not been bad news? I mean, no, it had not been bad news. The good news is God plans to use you. And He wants to use you so desperately that He takes a personal interest in you and adjusts the circumstances of your life To change you so that he can use you. What a God and what an honor. That's not bad news. And some of you are not in the test right now, but here's what I gotta tell you you will be one day. I hate it, but it's the way of life and it is the way of God. And when that day of testing comes, I want you to pass the test. You're on, you how do we know we're passing the test? We grow. Remember, God tests our character to improve our character. The purpose of the test is to help us grow and then grow some more and then grow some more until at some point in our lives, people can look at us and see Jesus in us. That's a lot of growth. When you and I emerge from the crucible of pain, we should be changed. We should be a little more like Jesus. We should think a little bit more like He thinks. We should love a little bit more like He loves. We should live a little bit more as He lives. That's how you know when you're passing the test. Unfortunately, everyone who suffers doesn't pass the test, some don't grow. Some don't become more pliable and teachable. Some aren't softened by suffering. They're hardened by it. They fail the test. What makes a difference? I think our attitude determines if we fail or pass the test. Would you read a few more verses with me? They're found in the New Testament book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. James starts off, he said, dear brothers and sisters. Okay, we automatically know he's talking to Christian people just like us, right? Dear brothers and sisters, when, not if, right? You seeing this? Not if, but when troubles of any kind come your way, what are we to do? Gripe, moan, complain, take offense at God. What are we to do? He said, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Are you kidding me, James? Come on, man. How do we do that? He said, we can do it because here's what we know, right? We know something. For you know that when your faith is tested, keyword your endurance has a chance to grow. He said, so let it For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and need nothing. In other words, your character will take on a keen resemblance to the character of Christ. According to James, we consider times of testing an opportunity not just for joy, but get this, great joy, he said. I think James is on something, man. I think he's on it. Are you, are you kidding, James? How? What does he mean by that? Is he saying that we should enjoy suffering? Of course not. He is, however, saying that when tested, we should maintain a good attitude. It can be done. And it must be done. If we develop a bad attitude toward God, if we become angry with Him or resent Him, we'll fail the test. We won't grow. Instead of becoming more like Jesus, we'll kind of revert back and become more and more and more like our natural selves. When our attitude is bad, suffering won't make us better. It'll make us bitter. So, how do we keep a good attitude when we're being tested? We must remember that even though at this point in our life, life is not good, the test is being supervised by a God who is good. And if we'll be patient with Him, the outcome of the test will be a harvest of good that is enjoyed by a multitude of other people. To stay positive, we must recognize what the test means. It means that God plans to use us and use us in greater ways than He already has. I've often heard it said, the greater the suffering, the greater the good. Maintaining a good attitude requires heavy doses of the Bible, honest conversations with God, true fellowship with other Christians, and lots and lots and lots of grace. When life is bad, our attitude can be good, and if it is, we'll pass the test. We'll grow. We will be changed. We'll become more usable in God's hands. And God will use us to save people, perhaps lots and lots of people. To maintain a good attitude, we must always remember this the test is temporary, but the transformation is eternal. You with me? The test is temporary, the transformation is eternal our suffering will one day cease, but the transformation that takes place in others will last forever. The United States Marines have a saying. Forged by the fire of the crucible, the transformation is forever. Only recently have I learned the significance of those words. On July 21st, my grandson Seth boarded a bus that took him to Paris Island, South Carolina. There in the South Carolina heat and humidity, with all the mosquitoes, black gnats, and sand fleas, Seth began his basic training with the United States Marine Corps. For ten weeks and three days, they broke him down so that they could rebuild him as they wanted him. Their aim? Transformation. The goal was to transform Seth Mosley from a recruit into a Marine. The process led up to an event described as the crucible. Do you know what a crucible is? It's a severe test. Designed to manifest change or produce change. The Marine Corps crucible lasts 54 hours. And during this 54 hours, some of you may be Marines... During this 54 hours, these recruits are to a great degree de- deprived of sleep and food. Uh, I think they're allowed six hours sleep, and they get two meals, two MREs. Now, during this 54 hours, they've got to carry a 45-pound pack, and they're going to hike 48 miles. And in the dark of night, in the heat of the sun, they perform 65 training operations. They're designed to test them their mentally, physically, their skill set, their values. The crucible is an opportunity for these recruits to prove to themselves, I'm changed. It's an opportunity for them to prove to their fellow recruits, I'm changed. It's an opportunity for them to prove to their commanding officers, I'm different than I was 11 weeks ago. It's an opportunity for them to prove themselves and an opportunity for the transformation to be refined. Only upon completion of the crucible are these recruits referred to as Marines. For Seth, the crucible began at 2 o'clock Thursday morning. Lynn and I had our clock set. We got up at 2. My wife had made this cool lantern. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And for him, and kind of in his honor, but it was too, we were going to, we lit it at 2 a.m. and we were going to leave it on until Seth had completed the crucible. And at that, with the lighting of this lantern, we started a prayer vigil for him, as did many of you. And I'm so grateful. At 8 o'clock Saturday morning, after 54 hours of severe testing, Seth and his fellow recruits, recruits marched to the top of a place called Edson's Ridge, where in a private sacred ceremony they were presented the eagle, globe, and anchor emblem. The transformation was complete, forged by the fire of the crucible. The transformation is forever. Seth is no longer a recruit. He is now a Marine. I tell you that story not only because I'm a proud grandfather, I tell you that story because some of you are experiencing a crucible of your own. You're in the midst of a severe test. You are exhausted, wounded, and very confused. The test has been long and demanding, and that's an understatement. Under these extreme conditions, it's easy to lose hope and perspective. And maybe that has happened to you. If so, it is my intent to help restore both. I'm here to remind you that the test is temporary. Just assess crucible ended. So will yours. I'm here to remind you that the transformation is forever. God is going to use you greatly. That's what this is all about. Lives will be saved. In your case, lives will be saved eternally. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. For those in the crucible, I want to close by sharing some verses with you. They're in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8 through 18. They were written by the apostle Paul to people who were in the midst of the crucible of pain, maybe just like you are this morning. Would you read them together with me? Mean, listen at these words. Paul said, "We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down," he said, "but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, don't we? But we are not destroyed. Look at these next two words. Through suffering. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under the constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for us. I don't believe that's the way it's worded, is it? For you, he said. My suffering has been for you. But we continue to preach. Because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present Himself together with you. All of this that we've gone through is for whose benefit? Yours. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small, he said, and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Forged by the fire of the crucible, the transformation is forever. Let's pray. God, there's so much we don't know about you. But we do know this, when life feels out of control, you're still in control. Lord, today we've learned something else. When life is hard, when you allow, in your sovereignty, you allow suffering to enter our lives, you're testing our character. You're giving us a chance to prove our genuineness to those around us, but you, Lord, are taking the chance to improve our character. Oh God, help us get this and see. You're just helping us fulfill our purpose you're changing us so that you can use us to change others I pray that as we get that we'll be patient with you and we'll trust you and we'll cooperate with you Lord there are people here in the crucible of pain right now and this is what I pray pray they'll pass this test I pray that soon they graduate from this time of testing and that you have accomplished in them what you desire to accomplish in them that they are changed and they're more Christ-like and that they are more usable and as a result others are changed So that in the end you receive more glory because you're worthy. Maybe this is a good time for us, God, to pause and say thank you for everything that's come to us in this life that caused us to hurt everything that ever frightened us, everything that ever confused us. Lord, we see the genius of it now as we look at it from your perspective. We're yours. You change us any way you want so that you can use us any way you want. That's our prayer. That's our prayer, God. offer it up to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. I just hope you have the best week ever.